Hey everybody, this is Pierre Quinn and you're listening to the Leading While Green podcast where my mission is to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Stephanie Scheller, founder of Grow Disrupt, a company passionate about helping business owners look at their business with different eyes to find opportunities to grow and streamline. Now, before we jump into the conversation with Stephanie, I just want to invite you to join me in Orlando on January 19th at the University of Central Florida for the next stop of the Find Your Courage Tour. Many of you know I wrote a book, Leading While Scared, How to Find the Courage to Keep Going, and I've been on this book tour, leadership workshop tour for a couple of months, and Orlando is the next stop. And In Orlando, I'll be joined by an amazing roster of speakers and presenters sharing their courage story and practical, actionable advice to help you face your fears and lead with greater courage in 2020. So join us in Orlando, January 19th on the campus of the university of central Florida. And you can find more information at courage, orlando.eventbrite.com. That's courage, orlando.eventbrite.com. Okay. Conversation with Stephanie Scheller. Stephanie Scheller took the business world by storm. After three years in corporate America, she ramped up her sales training and coaching business in only four and a half months to completely replace her corporate income. And she walked away to run Scheller Enterprises, a company focused on disrupting the way the world goes into and stays in business. Now, she has a passion for business owners and their struggles to keep our economy blossoming. So Stephanie is dedicated to helping others find the same success that she's experienced for themselves. Here's my conversation with Stephanie Scheller. Stephanie, thanks for being my guest today. Absolutely. I am so excited to be here with you. I always have so much fun. You know, I find doing podcasts brings out stories and stuff that I don't get to talk about all the time. So I'm super excited. I love doing this stuff. So let's just dive right in. Take, take yeah. us back. I was on your LinkedIn profile. Uh, equine, is it equine business? Oh yeah. <laughs> what, what, uh, what is that? And, and, and how did you get started? Oh wow, my God. was a major in college. <laughs> wow. We're going way back here. <laughs> um, yes. So equine business and facility management was what I majored in, in college. Um, I wanted to run a horse barn hmm. um, and that's barn with an N. Um, funny story there. At one point in time, I went, um, I was in England, went over to France left my passport in England by accident. Um, and so when we were trying to come back, I was having to fill out all kinds of paperwork and the guy was filling it out and he's like, what are you? And I was like, I'm a barn manager. And he was like, a what? And I said, a barn manager. And he goes, a what? I was like, a barn manager. So he put bar manager. So now I clarify it's with the N, with the horse. With the N, right. okay. So <laughs> barn manager. Um, I wanted to work with horses. That was I've been in love with horses since I was a kid. I was, I was that kid who had like horse posters all over the wall. Mm. Um, always wanted to work with horses and found a degree, found a school that offered a degree in equine business facility management, went all the way, literally all the way across the country, right? I live, my family had lived in Texas. Mm. I decided I was going to go to school in Ohio, um, discovered that, you know, culture shock is a thing, even yes. here in the U.S. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I had, I actually had a really tough time of it for four years in college. Um, I struggled with a lot of depression, uh, went through just a lot of stuff and it was a combination of being 
on the other side of the country, culture shock, away from family. Um, I also didn't know how to balance like personal and fun Mm. with work and school. So I was working like four jobs and held a, you know, summa cum laude level GPA. And I was miserable for four years. Um, I got a job right out of there selling advertising for the newspaper here in San Antonio, Texas, which is where I live now. Cause I was like, I'm so done with the cold weather. Like, mm-hmm. I cannot do this anymore. I'm not a cold weather person. I think it's in the fifties today and I'm still sitting here going, what the heck? It's way too cold. <laughs> um, and so I got that job at the, at the uh, express news working that for three years. Um, and it was kind of one of those instances of first year on the job. I did really, really well. I was the number two sales rep. We were the number the one division in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my managers come to me at the end of the year and they're like, Hey, so our retention rates kind of suck. Um, <laughs> they're like 30% and you are the 30%. Like literally your accounts are the only ones that are making it to the one year mark. And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> they were like, so do you want to take over our retention team? And I was like, I thought about it for a while. And then I was like, yeah, sure. We'll give this a try. And so that was my introduction to management and leadership, um, which I think is a pretty classic introduction to leadership. Hey, you're good at your job. Do you want to be a boss? Right. Um, so yeah, going way back, that's, that's my story. And then obviously three years there. And then I started my own business and um, that's been a whole nother journey and story we could talk about too. So take us back a little bit to trying to manage life and studies and professionalism and fun in college in Ohio. What, what were some lessons that you learned from that experience that clicked in when you had that first job in ad sales? And then mm-hmm. what were some things that you were like, man, there is no way that collegiate life could have prepared me for this um, being a professional. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Okay. So two totally, you know, opposite sides of the spectrum questions here. Um, I think, you know, I, I mentioned the depression that, that I, I struggled with, um, with depression through college. And I met a guy, um, we met playing an online game, a Facebook game. And, um, he's now my husband at the time. He was just a guy that I was chatting with, but he played such a pivotal role through my junior and senior years, helping me look at the world differently, that the world wasn't as dark and abysmal as, you know, I kept thinking it was and that I was getting caught up on stuff that wasn't worth getting caught up on. Um, you know, when something happens and you overplay it in your head and you replay it and you replay it and you replay it. And he's like, what does obsessing about that do for you, Steph? Like, how does that help you? It, it doesn't. Why are you wasting your time and energy here? And that was probably some of the best. I mean, it was definitely some of the best advice you know, ever, because when you get into sales, sales is a difficult job. And it, you know, you have to be optimistic going into a sales job every single day. And if it were not for that lesson, that figuring out that, you know, life's not worth obsessing over every 
stupid little thing. Hmm. You know, let it go. Focus on the important stuff. Um, if it weren't for that, I don't think I would have been successful in sales. And I don't think I would have made it as far as I made it in sales. And then on the flip side there, um, some of the stuff that happened in a real life that college could not have prepared me for. You know, they, you, you always hear about like at jobs, there's politics and BS and <laughs> play those games, right? And bosses who steal your ideas. And I was always able to, in college, I was always able to control my environment very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, you, before we started recording, you mentioned my DISC certification. Um, I've always been very good at reading and understanding people. So I could get to know a professor within the first week or two of classes, and I could make sure I gave them exactly what they needed to be their favorite student every single time. Um, and so in that, same thing with my roommates, same thing, and, and I just didn't interact with my classmates unless my instructor had us do a group assignment, in which case I used the same skill sets on my, on my, <laughs> my co-students, my students colleagues. And when I got to, to the real world, you know, those same skill sets didn't work as well. Mm. <laughs> um, it was a little bit more complicated and there were some politics. There was some BS that went on that, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't use the same skills I'd used in college where there was a lot less on the line as I could you know, in the real world. Um, and, you know, of course, having to learn to deal with bosses, stealing my ideas and going to the higher ups and being like, I've got this really great idea about how we should restructure the retention side. Yeah, no, that was my idea. No, 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 my re- no, no, no. I told my retention head she should do this, not the other way around. Um, and so that was definitely something I was not prepared to deal with. Um, the Just the level of BS that went on, I had... N- it was a very rude awakening to the real world. When we look at social media today and what seems to be for a lot of people, a fast track to success, it seems that people come out of nowhere and just build brands and businesses and do all these amazing things. And some people do, um, Mm -hmm. but there is for, for most of us who are leaders and entrepreneurs, a fair amount of rejection that you have to deal with. How, how did you, how did you navigate that in your sales position? Because you, you hear more no's uh, than you do yeses. And then as you make the shift to entrepreneurship, how, how did you leverage when people to, I don't want your good, your product, your services, I don't like your brand. How, how did you mitigate the tension from those experiences? So in, um, when I was a sales rep, I just learned to just, you know, you know water on a duck's back. You know, mm. someone says no. All right, cool. Move on. I would rather, and even now, I would still rather you told me no than you sat here and you tried to come up with an excuse or you said, yeah, well, call me in three months. I don't want to, I don't want to spend time calling you every three months. People did that to me in sales all the time. And it's just, it's so disrespectful to, to the person you're talking to both ways. Right. Um, but I learned in sales, you know, it's just, water on a duck's back, roll it off, let it go, move on. Um, Now I've learned to really understand people a lot of times better than they understand themselves. Mm. And um, 
so I I get to the point. Sometimes this gets in my way though, so I'll be I'll be straight there. But I get to the point where I can tell a lot of times where that no is coming from. If it's a legit reason or if they are just confused or lost and I can navigate it to get to the real answer. And when I think when you get honesty, no doesn't hurt. It's when people are saying no because they're lying to you, right? When people are saying no because they're not giving you the chance, that I think is what hurts people's feelings because they're like, no, I know I'm good. I know I've got a great brand, but you're not even giving me the time of day, right? So I can get you to give me the time of day to where we can actually part ways. If we need to part ways, we can part ways with a real understanding instead of you just sitting here being like, yeah, I don't have time. I don't have time to deal with this right now. So not right now. Call me in three months, right? So that's how I've learned to deal with that now. Um, I will say sometimes it has gotten in my way because sometimes I'm sitting here thinking, you know, oh, well, this person, you know, I can see why this person's saying no and it, you know, I'm, I'm going to go my way and, and my team will call them and be like, yeah, Steph, that person really wanted to work with you. I'm like, oh, I thought they didn't. <laughs> so, so sometimes I get in my own way with that one. But for the most part, I've gotten really good about being able to, to navigate that and to understand people um, a lot of times better, than, like I said, better than they understand themselves. At what point did you know it was time for you to transition? To, to running your own business and managing your own brand. You had done it for other organizations in the past, but now it's, it's time for Stephanie to kind of do her own thing. And, and how did you wrestle with the, all the emotions surrounding that transition for you? So I think there were really two transitions that happened. Um, one was starting my own, the, the part where I started my own, and I, I say started my own company, but it was really like started my own job. So um, what happened was company I was working for um, all of a sudden started having all kinds of excuses for why they weren't going to pay my commission check. Mm. So um, I actually show up to work on a Friday and I checked my bank account before coming into work. It was commission day, payday, and I didn't have a commission and my, 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 my paycheck was like two or $3,000 light. Mm. And I was like, what the heck? So I show up to work and I'm like, Hey boss, what's going on? And they're like, Oh yeah. Um, and I got like six different stories from up top. <laughs> you weren't supposed to get a commission check. Your commission plan was never approved. Your position isn't supposed to get a commission check. You know, you're not a sales position, so you don't qualify for like, I got like all kinds of different stories, which told me like something going on, like yeah. what the heck. Right. Um, and so, they yanked my chain for like nine months of, you know, well, we're, we're going to, we're going to get a new commission plan approved. Right. So, so September, they said, let us figure out what's going on. Right. October, they said, okay, we're going to work on a new commission plan. November, they said, all right, we're, we're working on it. It'll be ready by January, January. They roll out a new plan. Um, and then for some reason, like the week of commissions, it doesn't get approved. Oh yeah. By the way, sorry guys, you're not getting commissions again this month. February, same thing. March, they finally roll out a plan. Um, it was not a great plan, but they finally roll it out. And then they came up with another excuse to not pay commissions again. Wow. And I just remember I was sitting there. I was at a client's office and my boss texts me and says, hey, heads up. You're not getting a commission again this month. Come see me when you get to the office. I'll explain. 
And I was so upset and the client had to go deal with a, an issue. So I was like, you know what, let's, let's reschedule. Let's finish this meeting later. Cause at this point I was like, I can't finish this conversation. And I walked out in the parking lot and I just remember I faced away from the building and I just, I'm crying and I'm crying and I'm crying. Yeah. And, um, and I called my mom and, you know, what do you do at that point? Like I got nine months of thinking these guys were finally going to take care of me. Um, and I, I just called her and I said, I, I don't know what to do. Um, I don't know what to do. I guess it was only six months at that point, but, uh, she said, well, you need to get out of there. They're clearly not going to take care of you. Mm -hmm. You need to get out of there. You, they don't have your back. You got to move on. And, um, so she was the one who actually got me to go out to California and learn how to run a sales training business. So really the emotion that I dealt with there was mostly just this feeling of like betrayal. Like mm -hmm. I gave you guys everything. I had your back. You guys had me doing some stuff that was like way against my moral code, mm -hmm. saying stuff, doing stuff to clients that I thought was completely inappropriate that like, you know, sitting here and telling a client, well, I know we haven't done anything on your account for six months, but you need to pay your bill anyhow. Mm. Like, what? Wow. You can't treat people like that. Um, and so, like, they had me do stuff. I, and I was like, I had, I've had y'all's back. Like, so I just, I felt so betrayed. Um, and then, and then April, again, they came up with another reason to not pay my commission check. And then I was just mad. I was so angry. And I told my boss, I said, I will be gone by October. And he laughed at me. Mm. And I was like, oh, uh-uh, uh-uh, this is it. And uh, so I flew out to California, got the training, started the business in May. And at the end of August, I'd made more money part-time than I had full-time. And uh, wow. so I turned in my two weeks notice. And it was really, I was so caught up in the doing because I was working full-time. I was building this business. I was working 20, 30, 40 hours a week in the business, 50 hours a week at work. And I was running a dojo, a Taekwondo dojo long story there, but I was running a Taekwondo dojo. And so I'm working like 112, 115 hours a week. Um, and I, there was like no time for emotion. It was just like, just go. Like yeah. I have to get out of here. I'm so angry. I'm so hurt. I'm so betrayed by these guys. And then I think I said, it's, there were two transitions. And I think the other one was, um, a few years, uh, about a, a year, year and a half later, when I realized that I was just a job owner, hmm. I wasn't a business owner. I was a job. I owned my job. But if I didn't show up for work, if I didn't make sales calls, if I didn't show up to do the sales training, that was it. There was nothing there. And I remember I was sitting down with this one guy and I asked him, I said, you know, hey, I've, I've built the largest, most active sales training practice in Central Texas. You know, where would you value my company at? And he said, oh, I wouldn't. He said, your company doesn't have any value. It's not a company. And it was this realization of, oh, crap. I just spent like a year, year and a half building this thing that's not what I thought I was building. Yeah. And I'm really going to have to make a transition here. I'm going to have to take on employees, take on team members lean on team members. And that was, it was scary because 
if you think back to what I said earlier about in college, I was always really good about controlling my environment. Mm -hmm. And then I went through this period of, I didn't have control at my work. And so when it was just me in the business, I had control, right? Like I'm doing, I had, I had an assistant, but I mean, like it's just me. I had control over everything in the business. And so starting to bring on employees, there was a lot of fear of, you know, that loss of control, that loss of, um, that, you know, last time I, I lost control, things didn't end well. Um, you know, is the same thing going to happen here? Are people going to bring that same kind of politics and BS into my organization that I was dealing with, you know, that drove me out, right? Am I going to drive the good people away by accident? And, um, it was just, it was a lot of worry. Um, and it's funny because when I talk to other, you know, business owners and entrepreneurs, a lot of times they'll comment about how, um, they, you know, I I feel the weight of, of carrying, you know, all these people who count on me, who rely on me for their paychecks. And I've very seldomly felt that weight of, you know, Hey, I've got all these people who rely on me for their paychecks. Um, I think maybe once or twice I've had that thought cross my mind of, Oh crap. (laughs) These guys like, this is their livelihood. It's not just me anymore, but it's, for me, it's always been that bigger fear of how do I create a culture that goes beyond me um, that I can't control everything anymore. I'm going to have to get over that. But how do I create a culture where I, that stuff's not acceptable. That stuff's not, you know, my team won't bring that kind of stuff to the table because they know it's not going to work here. So that's been, um, that's been the big transition for me mentally, emotionally, um, is getting past that fear and getting and, and building a strong culture. So unpack, unpack for us uh, ab- about what your business does mm-hmm. and then where's the seat that you sit because you can't do everything right. in this line of work and be successful. And how did you finally niche down to what your core responsibilities are in your particular business model? So we had the transition from being a sales training business to when I realized, okay, I've only got a business or I've only got a job. I don't have a business. And I was kind of going through this like, oh crap, what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? And I realized my passion was small business. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I did the sales training and a lot of times I was going into larger organizations and doing training for these guys. Um, And I did it just fine. But where I got excited, where I got passionate was when I was working with a small business to help them design their sales funnel, their sales strategy, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And so that was when I was like, okay, I really love the sales and the marketing pieces of business. We're going to be, and at first I was like, okay, we're going to be a consulting company for sales and marketing for small businesses. And then the more, like I did that for a a few months and then I was like, "Mm, wait, no, this isn't quite it either. Uh, we want to do events and we'd started doing some events. Um, but I was like, I want to put on events for small business owners. And so we started to design and produce events that are at a level that you don't experience anywhere else. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, a list speakers coming in and actually hanging out on site. Like these are the guys you would normally see, you know, down on the stage at the amphitheater where you're sitting in a crowd of 30,000 people 
and they walk on, they walk off, you don't ever get to meet them. These guys come in, they hang out, and they're actually talking through application and implementation for people which again is something a lot of times when you go to these big events, they're giving you just enough information yeah. to not actually be, you know, yeah. helpful. Um, and a lot, they, they're, they're trying to sell their $20,000 coaching program most of the time, right? Like you got to buy this thing too, right? So, so I get that, but we said, <laughs> we're not doing that stuff. So we, we design, like we put together, you know, these hallmarks of intimate speaker access, real content, application focus, and we started designing events. And now we have this really solid, our flagship event is the Grow Retreat. We're adding another major event in 2020. Um, and my seat has gone from being, you know, hands in everything <laughs> to really being the marketing director. And uh, I am the primary sales rep for the company right now. I have a couple of other people who do sales as well, but I still do the majority of the sales. Um, which that's going to change this year. Um, we, we've got a couple other pieces in place that are going to take a lot of the sales off my plate, which will be great. Um, but I've always been the, the marketing director, the primary salesperson, and then the event producer. So I design what the event needs to look like. And my team goes out and does like, I'm like, okay, we need a venue that's going to offer X, Y, and Z benefits, mm -hmm. right? And then I've got Rachel who goes out and she goes and she looks through all these venues across, you know, Central Texas, San Antonio, and then she pulls together a list of three and I go tour those three and pick one. Um, you know, I'm the one who sits there and says, okay, these are the speakers we're going to book, right? I interview the speakers, right? This is what the website needs to look like. And I tell the team what to do, but I'm still the, the, um, the designer of everything at this point. What's it like working with mom? I, I noticed on your website that you, you and your mom work closely together. For some people listening to that, they're like, oh, no, you don't know my family. That would never work. <laughs> what, what are some, you know, some insights from, from working with family members mm -hmm. and even respecting leadership and boundaries and all, all that stuff? Oh, my gosh. Right. So that's <laughs> especially working with your mom. Right. How do you get being your mom's boss and not being disrespectful? <laughs> um, it's a fine line. Uh, and it took her and I a while to kind of hit our stride. Um, one of the biggest cues has always been clarity in job and responsibilities. I'm responsible for and we're, it's always responsibilities for outcomes. Right. I'm responsible for this outcome. You're responsible for this outcome. Cool. You, I don't care what you have to do, make that outcome happen. And I'm going to do the same, right? I do this with my team a lot. I give them the free, I give them an outcome. I want you to create a list of X. I want you to do this. I, want, I don't care how you do it. Cool. I don't care what you got to do. If you're going to spend more than X amount of dollars, you need to come get approval. Other than that, run with it, Right this is your baby. It's your outcome. Own it. And that's been a really huge key for us because if you're going to work with family, you can't micromanage. Like does not work, but you have to have clear expectations. And then, you know, there's one of the things you actually might not have even seen this, but my sister actually works for me too. So it's like almost turned into this little family nest here. Um, but we do it in a way that actually works. Whereas I work with other organizations who have family working together. And a lot of times it kind of ends up imploding. Mm -hmm. um, 
because you have to have those clear expectations for your team, um, including your family members. And there have to be boundaries that they, they don't cross. They can't cross. They know they can't cross. Um, like there was one conversation that I had to have with Susanna at one point, And I said, look, if you need to talk to sister stuff, that's cool. Let me know. But right now you're talking to boss stuff. Boss stuff does not need to hear that information. Hmm. And she was like, okay. I was like, look, I have two email addresses. I got a personal email address. I got a work email address. You send that kind of stuff to my personal email address, mm-hmm. right? And understand I'll be there as your sister and I'll be supportive for you. But when it comes down to your boss, I set deadlines, I set expectations, and I expect those things to be met. And if you can't, it's up to you to tell me you can't meet them. Don't just mm-hmm. disappoint me. Don't just don't hit it and then be like, oh, yeah, by the way, all of this stuff happened. Sorry. Like, no, no, no. You need to be proactive. So that clarity of, hey, we are outcome and expectation driven and you are expected to hit your, your expectation, your, whatever I've set for you, you're, you're going to hit it. And that makes it much easier than a lot of organizations where there's either micromanaging going on or, um, there is a lack of clarity. Um, you know, I, I was working with one guy who had his nephew working for him and his nephew started showing up just a couple minutes late to work. Hmm. Well, a couple minutes late to work turned into 510, 1015, 30. All of a sudden, the guy's coming into work an hour late. All the other employees are sitting here going, if I did that, I'd be fired. Yeah. yeah. Right? And I told the guy, I was like, look, first of all, you needed to bring it up when he first showed up late three days in a row. Okay. That's just to be clear. One day, a couple minutes late, one day, I think that's stupid to bring up, right? Yeah. A couple minutes late, two days in a row, three days in a row. No, we're going to have a talk about that one, right? We're not going here. Um, I was like, now you have, unfortunately, because you were trying to be nice, you've damaged the relationship to the point where it may not be salvageable because now you're going to have to get on him. Hmm. You're going to have, instead of it being, hey, by the way, we don't do that here. It's got to be, hey, by the way, you've been incredibly disrespectful to me, to my employees, to your job, to this company. We don't accept that. We don't, you know, and, and I see that kind of stuff happen a lot where people let family members get away with stuff because it's family. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, as soon as you start doing that, you set yourself up to where, like in this instance, my client was so mad, he couldn't even talk about it without getting angry. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, at that point, you can't have a boss conversation. You can't have a rational conversation because you're too mad. You're too upset. You're too emotional. You bring it up before it's a big deal. It's not emotional. And I tell my team that I'm like, look, first of all, they know I'm harder on myself than I am on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm always like, look, I'm going to bring it up right away because I don't want to get mad about it. I'm going to bring it up so you know that it's a problem before it turns into a big deal. And that is something a lot of leaders miss out on. Hmm. Another thing that leaders, some leaders miss out on is the necessity of surrounding yourself with other, you know, high performers. Yeah. Uh, just people who are excellent at what they do. And I was, I was looking at the speaker roster for some of your events and you're, you surround yourself with, I've, I've watched other events and other people can put their list together. And for some events that I look at, it seems that 
sometimes the lead or the boss, the person that is in charge, is careful to put people around them that are not quite yeah. on their level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I noticed you, you do a very uh, good job, very intentional job about bringing, uh, attracting the best, the best of the best and having them on stage and be a part of your environment. Why is that so important for leaders to be able to get over themselves, to wrestle with those insecurities and to position themselves with other top performers? That's a really good one. And you're right. And it is, it's very intentional um, for me. I want to bring in, I tell everybody, I'm like, look, I craft the event I want to attend. Yeah. Like, and I figure if I want to attend it, like we had issues a couple of years ago. I forgot to plan time for me to get on stage. Like, <laughs> I so I had all the other speakers I wanted to hear from. And my team was like, um, you have to get up there too at some point. Um, so I have to remember to plan that in now. But, but I, I love having those people around me because they do. They lift me up. And I had a realization. I've not had as hard a time with this. Like I know what my areas are, my areas of expertise. Um, and that's the psychology of human nature. Okay. You want to talk about how to make people do things through marketing. I'm your girl. You want to talk about how to sell like naturally and in a way that people respond to from a psychological level. Let's go. You want to talk about how to maximize your team and get them excited about working with you. Come on, let's talk. But there are so many other pieces to business. Mm-hmm. I'm not the expert in all of them, right? And even, you know, there's so many different approaches to, like, we have someone coming in and talking about marketing at the Grow Retreat. Uh, we have someone coming in and talking about sales at the Grow Retreat. Mm-hmm. Those are two areas I'm really strong in, but I don't have to be the, I don't have to be the, the only player there because I've found that I learn and I grow when I bring in these other people. And as long as I'm not having to be the big wig, it makes me much more approachable for my team. Mm. And it means we can have real conversations about what's working and what's not working. And I think a lot of, a lot of leaders, they get into that point of having to be the big wig in mm. order to hide inadequacies mm-hmm. because we you know, we look at people, some of the big stars out there, and it's like, oh my gosh, they're such a well-rounded person. They're so good at everything. It's like, well, I'm not, I don't believe in the idea of a well-rounded individual. I think you should have your strengths and you should have your weaknesses because you can't be a master at something as long as you're trying to have, you know, an, any level of sufficiency in everything else. Is you can't put the time of the time needed to become a master into that thing, right? Um, and then I just focus on what my strengths are. I know what my weaknesses are, so I, I outsource those. I bring other people in to take care of those for me, and I make sure that my team is also. I'm very aware of what their strengths and their weaknesses are too. One, so that I keep them playing inside what we call their energy advantage, right? Same thing I do for myself. I want to know where I'm good. I'm going to stay there in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to know what they're good at. I'm going to keep them in their area. Um, and sometimes it means we brought someone in and transitioned them to another role because they're stronger over here and found someone else to come in and fill that spot behind them. Um, and then I just focus on what I am good at. Yeah. Um, 
which does have a tendency to make people think, oh my God, Steph's good at everything, right? She paints, <laughs> she plays the violin, she has, you know, this, she does this, she does this, she does this. It's like, no, 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 hold on. I got my weaknesses too, right? I'm not, an, and I'm at a point where I'm comfortable in that. I think true leaders have to be willing to own where they're not strong and, and be okay with that because I think it shows a level of maturity that we don't get from a lot of leadership. So my last question for you, we look at you, we look at your success at a relatively young age, how you're just doing amazing things with your company and, and as an influencer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes we discount it is, as we're starting off, we discount like the rough patches, mm-hmm. the, the rejection, you talk about the issue dealt with depression, even pivoting in your business. What, why, why is it important for us, especially as emerging leaders, as we're going through the rough patches, the difficulties, the discovery sections, why is it important for us to really pay attention to what's going on in preparation for the times when things won't be as rough? Because you're going to learn from those moments and you're either going to learn how to not do it again or you're going to learn how to punish yourself for minor failings in the future by putting yourself in the exact same position. Now, one of those is going to be learned subconsciously. One of them has to be learned actively, right? At a subconscious level, we punish ourselves all the time. This is something I have, I've been learned. Like, where, what are the areas where I punish myself for failing to hit goals? And it's always subconscious right? It's always, it's always down here where all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, like the other night I realized I was like, I'm punishing myself. We didn't hit one of our goals for the year and I'm trying to punish myself. Uh Uh-uh. No, 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 no. We're not doing this. Right. And, um, fortunately one of my team members was working with me and, and she was like, wait, you're punished. No, 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 we're done. Like she was, she cut it off, which is like, I'm like, you got to have team that's willing to do that. Um, but, uh, we, we, so the subconscious, right. I can put myself in this position again and I can set myself up to be punished again. If I feel like I'm failing, that will have, that lesson will be learned automatically, right? You have to learn, okay, how do I not put myself in this position again? How did I get here? What was the path? What were the decisions that I made that got me here? And having come at this, cause right. When you're, when you're driving down the road, you see a sign coming up. Okay. You can't see what's on the other side of that sign, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Once you get past it, you can glance and you can see what's on the other side of the sign. So we have to be really careful as a leader when you're going, right? I'm here. I can now see what's behind me, right? On all the behind the behind side of all these signs. I couldn't see them when I was coming. So what you have to do is, okay, as I was coming down the road that got me here, what were the flags I did see? right? Because there's some stuff I didn't see because I didn't know to look for it. What were the flags I did see that will help keep me from getting here where I can turn the wheel and I can go in a different direction when I see the yield sign, when I see the red stop sign, when I see the, you know, the X, the Y, the Z. And the more you do this, the more you do start to almost build like a second nature, right? After you've seen 4,000 stop signs, you've got a pretty good idea of what's going to be behind them, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe 4,000 is a little, a, little, a little much, but after you've seen so many, you start to get an idea of what's behind some of these signs. 
And so you can start to recognize that and lean on your intuition, but you do have to analyze it. You do have to sit there and in the moment, help pull yourself, pull your head out of the dirt a little bit and, and okay, how did I get here? And how am I not going to get here again in the future? Because otherwise you will end up in the exact same. I know, I know people who've learned the exact same lessons every year for five years in a row. And I know because they had already been in business for three or four years when I started my business and I've outpaced these guys and they're still dealing with the same issues. And I, I went to one of them recently and I was like, dude, we've known each other for seven years in seven years. You still haven't solved this problem. I was like, that's that you really need to take a look at that one. He was like, Oh Yeah. But I see that a lot where people deal with the same problems again and again and again because they never analyze, they never look, they never try and learn. Stephanie, I think you've touched several heartstrings, brain strings. You got a lot of people intrigued from our conversation today. I call this shameless plug time. Where, where can we find you? Social media, links to Amazon, if we want to come to this awesome event that you talked about. Just just give us everything so we can so we can keep up with you. So um going to the, the company site, growdisrupt.com. So G-R-O-W-D-I-S-R-U-P-T dot com. Um that kind of will help disperse you out to everywhere to go. Um we uh, we are launching a brand new site uh, within the next couple of weeks. I don't know if this is going to launch. Or this podcast is going to go up before or after the site gets launched. Um, but that'll send you everywhere. You could also, the Grow Retreat is our flagship event. You could go straight to thegrowretreat.com, www.thegrowretreat.com. You can see all the info. We will be releasing our 2021 dates for that very soon. Um, you actually can't buy tickets to that one online. So that's an invitation only event. So you have to schedule an interview, go through an interview process. And if we think you're the right fit for the room, we will extend an invitation for you to pay us for a seat to to sit in the room for that one. Um, but you can check out some of the other events we're launching at the uh, growdisrupt.com. You can catch up with me on social media. Um, all of my handles are success Steph. So three S's in a row in the middle there success stuff. Um, and I love connecting. I love connecting. I'm on Facebook more than any of the other platforms, but, um, I do, uh, occasionally remember to check my Instagram and Twitter and I'm on LinkedIn a little bit too. So, um, but I'd love to connect with people through any one of those platforms. Great conversation today, Steph. Thanks for being my guest today. And I wish you all the best with your work as you continue to grow and influence leaders for the future. Thank you. And if I can say, I really appreciate you creating this platform for people to have the, these conversations because this is, this is the platform that I was craving when I went home that first day as a manager and realized, oh my God, I have a team relying on me. Hmm. What do I do? So thank you so much for creating space for this. Great conversation with Stephanie Scheller about her journey as a leader and an entrepreneur. I just love how Stephanie was just open and candid about her struggles in college, her struggles in her career, how she really had to pivot to find the space and place where she was called to serve and her willingness to surround herself with other leaders who are at the top of her game. I'll put the links to Stephanie's work in the show notes so you can check it out. I also put a link to her TED talk in the show notes as well so you can draw some inspiration from that. 
Hey, that's all I got for this episode of the Leading Wild Green Podcast. You know it's my mission to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. So until next time, take care and God bless.